0: Hi, my name is Kyla Bomstead and I'm a member here with Restored Church. Uh, If you're new, we want to say welcome and thank you for tuning in. Uh, We believe that church is not an event, but a family that you belong to, so we would love the opportunity to be able to connect with you. Uh, If you want to learn more about our church, or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website at RestoredTemecula.Church and click on Contact. We also have a mobile app with resources including our Sunday messages, information about upcoming events, and other ways to connect. You can download our app on the Apple or Android app stores. Uh, With all that said, we hope you enjoy the message. Now, this morning, um, we're gonna be continuing our series, The King and His Kingdom. We're going through uh, the book of Matthew, the Gospel according to Matthew, and it is Matthew's account of the life of Jesus. The ministry of Jesus, the the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the ascension of Jesus, it's all about Jesus. And as we're going through Matthew, what we're doing is we're going through it with a purpose. We're going through it with the purpose of learning as much as we can about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Those two phrases are synonymous. And not just the kingdom, but we want to learn as much as we can about the king. If there is a king, which Jesus claims to be, he claims to be the king of kings, if there's a king, that means there's a kingdom. And there are ways that, that kingdom operates. So when we speak of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, what we're talking about is we're talking about the rule and the reign of Jesus. What, lo- what things look like when God gets his way. That's what we're talking about. And so oftentimes, people, myself included, will think of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, as something that you go to after you die. Um, and, and yes, the kingdom is fully realized, right? The second coming of Jesus, all the dead will rise, stand before God. Yes, there's going to be the fullness of the kingdom of God to come for the, for the Christian, but we have access to the kingdom now, partly. John the Baptist preached and Jesus preached, the kingdom is, is near, so there's this partly in the present, fully in the future. We wanna learn as much as we can while we're in this this in-between, what, the, what theologians refer to as the already but not yet, the king in his kingdom. Now, we are in chapter 10, and we're actually going to wrap up chapter 10 this morning. Chapter, ch- chapter 10 of, of Matthew is all about the mission of God. And Jesus, he gathers his 12 disciples, he gives them this discourse all about the mission of God, and then he sends them out. Now, the mission of God, there's a lot of opinions about what the mission of God. Is it to plant churches? Is it to make disciples? Yes, 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 all those things. However, it's, it's, it's bigger than that. All of those things support the mission. The mission of God is to overthrow the kingdom of darkness. Things are not the way they're supposed to be. Just turn on the news for five seconds, you'll see that. Look in the mirror, if you're a person like me, and you can see things just aren't the way they're supposed to be inside of me there's brokenness, there's sin, there's all sorts of things are not the way they're supposed to be. So when we talk about the mission of God, we're talking about God's mission to overthrow the kingdom of darkness in us through us, all around us, and all of creation, okay? And that's why we do the things we do. That's why we give our lives to making disciples. That's why we start new gospel communities and start new intros and, and work together to do that. That's why we plant churches. That's why we, do, that's why we give ourselves to every single spiritual formation strategy that we have as a church is to overthrow the kingdom of darkness. Now, uh, today's verses at the end of chapter 10. There's only a handful of them but there's a lot of depth in these verses, okay? And like I said, Jesus, he grabs his 12, he grabs his disciples, he gives them a bunch of instructions that we've already covered in the, in the, in the prior weeks, and then he sends them out. These are the very last things that he shares with them before he sends them out on, on his mission, okay? Now hear me. Typically, the last things you say before somebody goes are really important, aren't they? And, and, and I would argue that Jesus' words today are just as important for us as they were for those original disciples, okay? So if you have your your Bibles, go ahead and grab that. We're gonna be in Matthew chapter 10 at the very end of t- chapter 10. Yep, verse 40, thank you. While you're flipping there, if you don't have a Bible, no sweat, the words will be on the screen for you. But I wanna pray before we read God's word. And so feel free to flip there, but... Um, I'd love to pray together. Will you join me? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence. Not just with us, but within us. I ask that this morning you would um, teach us I ask that you'd empower us to be able to cast off distractions, worries, and anxiety. I feel like even right now in this moment, I feel like a really strong impression that there's, there's um, some of us, like we're really battling some anxieties this morning. Not everybody, but some. <coughs> Things that we just can't seem to get out of our minds. Lingering anxieties. And I pray, um, Holy Spirit, you'd help us to not be distracted, but to be able to see you more clearly. Show us Jesus, teach us. Help me not to do anything to get in the way of that this morning, Father. We love you, we're grateful for your word, and we look to you now, and we say it together, amen. All right, Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 40, I'm gonna read to verse 42, or through verse 42. Again, these are the words of Jesus. He says this, the one who welcomes you welcomes me. And the one who welcomes me welcomes him who sent me. Anyone who welcomes a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And anyone who welcomes a righteous person because he's righteous will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones, because he is a disciple, truly I tell you, he will never lose his reward. All right, might not sound, not like, uh, might not seem like a lot, but there is a ton here, all right? If you're taking notes, the first thing I want you to write down is this. A disciple of Jesus is one with God. A disciple of Jesus is one with God. Look back at verse 40. The one who welcomes you welcomes me. He's speaking to his disciples. A disciple of Jesus is one with God, okay? And Jesus, he, he explains, he says like the father, he's speaking of the father, the father sent Jesus on a mission, Right? And then Jesus refers to Jesus sending his disciples. But I want you to notice the language that he uses here. It's this language of, like, of oneness. So, so, so Jesus, he's, he's way more than just the Father's representative, although he does represent the Father. Right? He's way more than an ambassador, although he is. Jesus is quite literally an extension of the Father. And here's what's wild. He says the same thing is true of his disciples. If that's not making your brain go a little, then like, I don't know if you're reading this properly. He's describing the disciple of Jesus as being one with God. If if, if a disciple is welcomed, then God is welcomed. Now, and this isn't unique to this passage. We see this all over the New Testament. Will you guys throw up Acts chapter nine for me? Acts chapter 9. You guys are familiar with the Apostle Paul, right? Before he was the Apostle Paul, he went by Saul. And he was notorious for persecuting, even organizing the murder of followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, Christians. That is until he has an encounter with Jesus and becomes a disciple himself. Check out out the moment of conversion for Saul would be Paul. It says this, Now Saul was still breathing threats and murder against who? The disciples of the Lord, Christians. He went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any men or women who belonged to the way, the way there's just Christianity, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul said, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting, he replied. So do you, do you see what's happening here? It's kind of bizarre, but Saul was persecuting who? Who? the disciples of Jesus and yet Jesus shows up and says you're persecuting me. Husbands in the room. How many of you, uh, all of you, guaranteed you're in public and some dude starts threatening your wife. What are you going to do? The best part was did you hear how quickly that came out of his mouth? freaking love you, man. No, but hey, but in all seriousness, it would be something to the effect of if you mess with her, you mess with me. I don't care if you're bigger than me. I don't care if you're stronger than me. I don't care if you mess with her, you mess with me. Every single husband in the room would do that. Why? That's because there's a oneness in marriage. You mess with her, you mess with me. In John chapter 17, one of the most remarkable chapters in all of the Bible, it's, it's like insight. Jesus is praying to God the Father, and he, he prays this remarkable prayer. He, he prays that his disciples and the disciples that would hear the gospel through his original disciples, that's you and I, all of his disciples would be one with him in the same way that he's one with the Father. So Jesus praised that the night, like literally the last night of his life that his disciples would share in that same oneness. A disciple is one with God. Let me give you one more example. In Matthew chapter 25, uh, if you guys can throw that up there, if you wanna flip over there, that's fine. You have your Bibles. Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 31. Have you ever wondered what the end times are gonna be like? Like the, like the end when Jesus returns and what's going to happen. Jesus tells us right here. And he's pretty specific. I'll try to read this quickly for the sake of time. Starting in verse 31, Jesus telling his disciples, here's what it's going to look like at the end. When the Son of Man comes, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations, that's every single people group ever. Don't think boundaries, think people groups. Like, like borders, think people groups. All the nations, nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another. Just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king, who's that? Jesus, yep, well done. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Listen to what Jesus says. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in? Or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Listen to this. Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, that's disciples, you did for me. What you did... For the other disciples, what you did for your brothers and sisters in Christ, you did for me. A disciple of Jesus is one with God. Are you seeing this? Now, hear me though. This does not mean that like the disciple or a disciple is God. We're not speaking of divinity here. But nonetheless, the Bible makes it super clear a disciple of Jesus is one with God, like a husband is one with his wife. Now, this truth, it has some pretty significant implications. Okay, here's one for you for taking notes. One implication of this is that most of your encounters with God will happen through his disciples, because a disciple is one with God. And I'll be candid with you, this is certainly true in my life. I've had a handful of like God, I've had several, like just encounters with God that happen like this. But I would argue, the vast, not even argue, I would testify to you, the vast majority of my encounters with God, they're not happening like this. They're not happening, for, they're happening like this. They're happening through his disciples. People who are saying yes to his mission that, in that moment, happens to involve blessing and caring for me. I'll I'll share a recent one. I was prepping this, and and I was reminded of this happening in a kind of small but significant way in my life. A couple years ago, I'm in New York City, me and Ebeneer together, and that Sunday morning, we decided to go to a mentor's church gathering, and we're there, and it was a season for me that I was just, ah, to be candid, I was like, I was just kind of weary like run down, tired, just just weary. And I'm in this church gathering, and you know, end of the sermon happens and they, they open things up for ministry. They have a prayer team, very similar to us. Prayer team comes forward and they're making themselves available to pray for people. So I go forward for prayer. This wonderfully nice guy prays for me, it's fine, it's cool, whatever. And then I go back to my seat. And maybe five minutes before the gathering's supposed to end. I get a tap on my shoulder from behind. And I turn around and there's this woman standing there, I've never seen her before, and she looks a little afraid, like a little concerned and a little afraid, and she goes, are, are you a lead pastor? And I'm like, and the moment she asks that, I'm like, oh, this is gonna be good. <laughs> because there's trepidation in her, she doesn't know. She's asking because you can tell there's impressions happening with her, and she's she's not like looking to score points with God. She's a little like healthy fear of the Lord, but she's acting on it nonetheless. God's like inviting her into his mission, and she's trying to say yes. And I'm like, Yeah, I am. And she's like, oh, okay, good. <laughs> Some confirmation that, you know, she's not off here. And she's like, I feel like God's speaking something to me for you. Can I share it with you? And I'm like, yeah, of course. And she shares things with me that there's no possible way she could have known. She she, she shares things about my past. She shares things about my present. She even shares things about my future. And these are all hyper-personal in a way where I can just feel stuff's happening inside of me. There's spiritual implications about what she's doing. And it was really specific. It wasn't just like, you know, you're following the Lord and like things are, there's gonna be seasons in your life where things go up and things go down. Like, yeah. It was very specific. And like I said, I was, I, was, I was pretty weary in that season. And she shares this, what was really cool was I actually recorded it on my phone, so I have it to refer back to. And it was like it was like God said, I see you. I see you right where you are. I know what you're going through. There's purpose in what you're going through. And I'm using this. I'm using you in a good way. I'm using this for your good, for the good of others, for my glory. And I'm not done yet. Listen to me. You will, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you will certainly have encounters with God that happen like this. Just you and him. But the vast majority of your encounters with God will happen through his disciples, through other people who are saying yes to God's mission. Because a disciple of Jesus is one with God. I know it's review because we've been talking about it a lot the last the past couple months, but I want you to keep something in mind. A disciple is somebody who doesn't say maybe or later to God's mission. A, a disciple of Jesus is someone who says yes to God's mission for their life, right? So that could be like across the world. No doubt, I would be, just, I'd be willing to bet there are people in this room that in 10 to 20 years from now, you will be in a different country because God sends you there. So it could, it's someone who says yes to the mission of God for their entire life. It could be across the world. It could be across the street. It could even be across the room, all right? It's, it's a moment-by-moment moment thing. Don't just think like the overarching thing. It's like, no, no, no. Each moment filled with a yes. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Because that's what it means. To, for, for Jesus to be someone's Lord it means that he's their, their master. He's calling the shots. He's giving assignments. He's giving direction. He's giving guidance. And the disciple goes, yes, Lord, right now, I'll do that. Instead of, oh, I don't know, I got to get my ducks in order. I got I to get things like, situated. No. That's literally what it means for, to be, for Jesus to be a person's Lord. It's, it's literally doing and saying things on the king's behalf because the king has given you instructions. So you're operating on his behalf, right? That's what happened with that woman who shared that prophetic word with me a couple years in New York City, a couple years ago in New York City. She was literally just obeying the directives from her master in a way that she didn't fully comprehend, but in a way that was very clearly to bless me. Do you guys guys know that's what it means to do things in Jesus' name? (laughs) <laughs> uh, this happens all the time and it's, it's a beautiful thing we should do this we pray and then how do we end our prayers in Jesus, in Jesus name amen and that can either be an empty ritual or it can be factually accurate when we talk about doing things in Jesus' name what we're do- when we- the Bible talks about a name it's not just what you referred to a name is somebody's essence. It's like, it's who they are at the deepest level. All right, so when we do things in Jesus's name, it's we're doing things essentially on his behalf that he's told us to do and to do like he would do. What would Jesus do if he was you? That idea. So when you, whether, you're, whether it's prayer or, or, or whether it's like serving or whether it's preaching or whether it's giving or whatever it is that you do. It's, it's I'm doing it on behalf of the one who sent me. I'm doing it as though Jesus would do it. I, I, I've come in the name and the essence of Jesus. I'm, I'm praying on behalf of the king who sent me. I'm giving on behalf of the king who sent me. I'm serving on behalf of the king who sent me. I'm speaking on behalf of the king who sent me all of life. A disciple of Jesus is one with God. Listen to me, guys. If you don't hear me say anything else, I need you to hear me say this. That's what God's after. He's after oneness with people. Not just people. He's after oneness with you. He's after oneness with you. Not like as an accessory. Accessory. Like some, someone who has infinite wisdom and power that you can, you know, you can kind of a, have access to sometimes when it's convenient or you've kind of, you know. No, like oneness is so much bigger. He wants oneness. And that oneness, it, here's the thing. It's something that can be welcomed, like Jesus describes in this passage, but it's also something that can be rejected. So can I just, can I just talk to the disciples of Jesus in the room? If you're not a disciple of Jesus, you're not a Christian, you're kind of just investigating things or you're kind of a little skeptical, totally cool, glad you're here. I just want to talk. You can, you can kind of overhear, you know. I want to talk to disciples in the room for just a moment. This is the question I've been asking myself all week. This is the question the Spirit's been asking me. Are there any areas in your life that lack oneness with Jesus? Like, Where you're living solo instead of oneness with Jesus. A disciple's one with God, right? Those of you guys married in the room. Are you approaching your marriage with oneness with Jesus? Or are your parents in the room? Like you're parenting with your kids? You doing it kind of by yourself? What you think is best or what you think is Is the right thing to do? Not asking you not to, you know, exercise logic and wisdom. All that's wonderful. You should be doing it, but are you doing it with with oneness with Jesus? Your career. Those of you guys that are working. Are, 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 is that, that, that environment outside of the home, is that like, well, that's like, it's kind of harder for Jesus to find his way into that space with me, so I kind of tend to compartmentalize that a little bit. Yeah, sometimes I'll pray. And so- is, is it solo or is it oneness with Jesus? All of us, what we do with our time, like our calendar, how we spend our time, is it done with, like, in oneness with Jesus? Our money how we, how we manage our finances, what we do, how we spend it. Or does God, no, he, I, that's, 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 that's mine. Oneness with Jesus. Guys, that's what we're called to. Every single area of life, oneness with Jesus. A disciple of Jesus is one with God. Now there's one more significant implication here. And that is, yeah, if, if a disciple is welcomed, then God is welcomed, absolutely. But the flip side of that's true as well, isn't it? If a disciple is rejected, then God is rejected. And can I just encourage some of you in the room this morning? I felt this 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 morning as I was preparing and praying. Again, if you're a disciple of Jesus and he has led you to move towards someone and they haven't exactly welcomed it, Maybe they've resisted it or rejected it. Maybe it's someone who doesn't know the love of Jesus and you're sharing the gospel with them. Or maybe it's a fellow disciple, right? And you're trying to move towards them and and promote holiness in their life because you see some things that are kind of concerning. If you've ever moved towards someone and they haven't welcomed it, maybe they've rejected it. Can I just encourage, it's not encouragement. it's, It's truth. Listen, ultimately, It's not you they are rejecting. It's the one who sent you. It's the hardest part about what I do. By far. There's something about our culture that views any and all authority as a threat. Sometimes rightfully so, because authority gets, oftentimes gets abused. But I've been on the receiving end of that kind of rejection, to be candid with you, more times than I can count. And the most painful part, when I get through my own ego... The hardest part is that ultimately it's not me they're rejecting, which makes it even more (laughs) worse because I'm like, oh, I just want you to experience the restorative love of the Father if you just yield, if you just say yes to what he wants. A disciple of Jesus is one with God. Again, like a husband is one with his wife. Imagine if you were like, hey, Tom, I think you're great. We're totally cool. I reject Ebony. I'm not a fan of everything. That's not, it's not going to work. If you reject my wife, you you reject me. Because marriage, two becomes one, right? Marriage without oneness with the spouse, it's, it's not marriage, it's something else entirely, okay? Hear me. In the same way, discipleship to Jesus without oneness with God, it's not actually discipleship. It's something else entirely. Another way that you could define discipleship is discipleship is the process of learning to be one with God. Learning, the key word there, because no, none of us do it perfectly, none of us have it totally figured out, but God in his grace and in his patience continually invites us. Jesus goes, follow me. Model your life after mine. Do what I would do if I were you. Like, live your life in such a way. It's the process of learning to be one with God. So, again, in love, pastorally, if you're a Christian in the room, can we just like put, take the masks off for a second? Can we just be honest with ourselves? Why are you in this? This whole Christianity thing, Jesus, the, like why are you in this? Is it oneness with God that you're after? Or is it something else? And I don't say that to shame anybody in the room. I'll be candid with you. There's been multiple times where I've come to the realization I'm not after oneness with God. I'm after something he could give me. So I'm not throwing shade at anybody in the room. What what I want us to do is I want us to get an accurate gauge of what's happening in us so that we can live a real life. We can can start to explore what it looks like to actually give ourselves over to biblical discipleship and all, we'll get it to in a second, all the rewards that come from that. Is it oneness with God that you're after or is it something else? Because the scripture is full of people who want access to Jesus. They see his power, they see his wisdom, they see all the amazing things that he can do and they're like, I'm going to go check him out. They want access to Jesus. They want him to bless them or, or help them or provide something for them. And that's not necessarily bad, but when it comes down to it, they don't actually want him. It's, it's not oneness that they're after. But listen, it's that oneness. That's what defines a true disciple. Someone who's pursuing and learning Oneness with God. A true disciple wants Him, not just His power, not just His stuff, because a true disciple of Jesus is one with God. Okay? Again, when a disciple is welcomed, God is welcomed. Think about the implications of that as as you're practicing gospel community, right? When a disciple is rejected, God is rejected. And Get this, according to Jesus, along with that rejection, if it takes place, comes a forfeiting of a reward. Did you catch it? Look back at verse 41. Let's read it together. Anyone who welcomes a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's what? Reward. Talk to me. And anyone who welcomes a righteous person because he's, a right- because he's righteous will receive a righteous person's what? Reward. Okay, verse 42. And whoever gives even a cup of cold water, the simplest act of hospitality, okay, to one of these little ones, because he's a disciple, that word little ones is not a derogatory thing, it's an affectionate thing, talking about his disciples, truly I tell you, he will never lose his what? Reward, okay? Here's your next point. Very simple. God gives rewards. Mission of God to overthrow the kingdom of darkness, right? Hear me. That can come to you, and it can happen through you, all right? Either way, this passage tells us that God gives rewards to those who say yes to God's mission. Get the picture. It can come to you in the form of another person who's saying yes to God's mission to, to come to you, and it can also happen through you as he gives you instructions to go to other people, but either way, this passage lets us know that God gives rewards to those who say yes to God's mission, all right? Now listen, it's not just isolated into this, this passage. The Bible is filled with God promising rewards to his people. Um, I have a little bit of time. I'm gonna give you some examples. We're, we're in Matthew, right? We, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 three chapters of, it's the greatest sermon ever preached, okay? We spent months in the Sermon on the Mount, okay? Three chapters. However, I just want to give you a couple examples just from the Sermon on the Mount, not not to mention the rest of the entire Bible, where Jesus, God in the flesh, is explicit about these rewards that he's speaking. I didn't give you guys these. I'm just going to read them, okay? In Matthew chapter 5, verse 11 and 12 Jesus, he just got done laying out the beatitudes and he says this, he goes, you are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. Matthew chapter six, just a couple verses, or a few verses later, he says this, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, notice it's not a, a if you, it's when you do. He, he assumes that we will be giving to those in need. Whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. He goes, truly I tell you, they have their reward in the applause of people. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And listen to what he says. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. He says something similar just in the next couple of verses. He goes, whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly I tell you, they have their reward They're doing it for a reward. They're getting the reward of people seeing them as being really righteous and being like really religious and stuff, right? And then somebody says, tell me if it sounds familiar, but when you pray, go into your private room, shut the door, and pray to your father who is in secret. Listen to what he says. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. I mean, guys, it goes on and on and on. This is just a handful of examples, it's not an isolated thing in this passage that that's your interpretation, Tom. Friends, God gives rewards. And I, I want to just, I don't have a lot of time, but I want to read you one more. Again, in Matthew chapter 16. I think I gave you this verse, Marshall. Chapter 16, verses 24 through 27. Again, Jesus says to his disciples, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will find it. For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and yet loses his life? Some translations say loses his soul. Or what will anyone give in exchange for his life? Listen to this. For the Son of Man, that's Jesus, is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will what? Reward each according to what he has done. Listen to me. God gives rewards. This should bother some of us in the room. The reason it should bother us is because we're a gospel people, right? And the the foundation of the gospel is what? It's it's grace. You can't earn grace. This is not speaking about earning. Jesus isn't giving you the hack to earn rewards from God. That's not what's happening here at all. It might sound like Jesus is explaining how you can earn things from God, but that's not what's happening here because earning violates grace. Grace is is getting what you don't deserve, okay? Unmerited favor. So what is Jesus getting at here? Listen to me. Saying yes to God's mission doesn't earn you rewards, but it certainly positions you to receive them. It certainly positions you to receive them. Uh, Any football fans in the room? Seven people. Okay, cool. Listen, I'm talking about American football here for just a second. Actually, you know what? I want to do a little experiment. I need two volunteers. Quinn, let's go. Matea, let's go. Okay. Now listen, girlies, here's the deal. Come close. One of you is going to publicly make a mistake. It's okay. It's okay. We all know, hey, we're all in this together. I'm going to give you instructions, but it's going it's it's to serve a purpose, okay? We're going to pretend that I'm a quarterback, and you guys are our receiver, okay? Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to get a play call from my coach, and he's going to tell me what route to tell you to run, okay? Quinn, you're going to purposely run the wrong route, Okay? <laughs> Okay, so Matea is going to go first. Matea, your route is to run over to that side of the field. Okay, come stand over here. I'm going to say hike, and I'm going to pass you this football. This is a football. This is not water. This is football. Okay, so just run right over there and turn around. All right, catch it. Oh, close. Let's try it again. Let's try it again. Let's try it again. You got this. All right, ready? Hike. Turn. Perfect. Yes! Yes. Well done. You can take a seat. All right. She ran the route. The coach called the play. I'm the quarterback. I I relayed the play. She ran to her position, right? She ran the route over there. Okay. So Quinn is an exceptional athlete, if you know anything about Quinn. All right? She's highly intelligent. She's very kind. She's very good. She's a wonderful person. But for the purposes of this illustration, she's going to show us what it looks like to even though the coach says the coach communicates to the quarterback. The quarterback says, hey, run the route off to the left. Why don't you run to the right for a second? (laughs) (laughs) Let's try it again. Okay, ready, set, go. Great job, Quinn. Thank you. silly. I know. But listen to me. If we run a different route than what the coach calls, good luck catching the ball. Like, to catch the ball, you have to position yourself. You have to be in a position. (laughs) Thanks, dude. You have to be in a position to actually catch the ball, saying yes to God's mission. It doesn't earn you rewards. It positions you to receive them. And can I just lovingly speak candidly to some of you in the room right now? Some of you are missing out on kingdom rewards because you're out of position. God's saying run left and you're running right because it's more convenient. Think of the plethora of ways in our lives where God's clear Here's what it looks like. Here's the mission. I'm giving you an assignment. Everything, how you spend your time. How you your money. Some of you are in in financial trouble because you're running to the right when God's telling you to run to the left. And you're not in the position to catch the ball. Listen to me. Saying yes to the mission doesn't earn you anything, it positions you to catch the ball. And and we would all agree. Most, if not everything, we do in life is done for the reward. I mean, think about it. Those of you guys that get up in the morning, you go to work outside of the home, right? Why do you do it? You do it because there's purpose, absolutely. You do it because you're good at it, absolutely. But would you do it for free? Anyone? No. (laughs) You do it for the paycheck. You do it for the reward. That's not bad, okay? If, if they said, hey, thanks so much for your 40 or 50 hours this week, I really appreciate you volunteering that. We won't be paying you this week or this, this month, but, you know, thank you so much for your service. You'd be like, no, that's not, that's not, that's not how this works. I'm employed for the paycheck. Yes, there are benefits. Yes, like, I'm, I'm serving a purpose that's good. All that's fine, but we do it for the paycheck, okay? We talk about the football player, right? The athletes, why do they compete? The money, okay? No, I'm kidding. They, they, most of them do. But, but think about it. Whether you're professional or not, they, they, you play to win the game. They compete for, for the championship. At least the ones that are serious do, right? Those of you that, that, are, that, that, that work out regularly and that exercise and care about the health of your body, why do you do it? You do it for the reward, the the, the aftermath, the the healthy effects of your body, right? You might even get a six-pack out of the deal. I just want you to, just for a moment, everybody's different in the room. I want you to think of all the things that you do for pleasure. You're doing it for the reward of the pleasure that it brings you. You're doing it for the, the, the reward of the fulfillment that you feel when you do the things you do. And I'm here to tell you, that is not bad at all. We as human beings, we we do the things that we do for the rewards. Things can get kind of hairy and sketchy if, if we're not even aware of the rewards that we're really after. But we do things for the reward, okay? And that's not a bad thing. Straight up, the reason I'm still a disciple of Jesus. I've been following Jesus now since... I, oh gosh, I was like 17, so over 20 years. It has not been easy. I've been confronted with darkness, the kingdom of darkness, at an ever-increasing rate every day since I said yes to Jesus. And not just the darkness out there. The darkness in here. Selfishness in here. The sin. It has not been easy, but listen to me. The reason I'm still a disciple of Jesus is for the rewards. You might say, that sounds sketchy, Tom. Listen to me. There are similarities to every disciple's call, okay? God will give every disciple a similar mission, but there's a specific mission in each moment of your life, that's only for you, okay? For me, in the last little over a decade, it's looked like church planting and pastoring in the way that I have been. And I'm telling you, it's the hardest things I've ever done in my life. It's not the kind of things that you sign, it's war. I'm not like signing up to do this because I want brownie points. or I'm doing it for the rewards Most of the things that we do, we do for the rewards. And listen, it's not just me. It's not just me who's doing it for the rewards. You know who else did it for the reward? Say his name. Jesus. Jesus Jesus did it for the reward. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. (coughs) Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Listen to this. Therefore, Since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, personal, individual, and collective, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, and then check this out, you've heard this before, for the joy that lay before him he endured the cross the punchline of the joke is the joy that lay before him was you okay but that greek word that, that gets translated for the joy that lay before him it's the greek word prokime. here's what it means to be set before someone so as to be visible and enticing. That's a reward. So in other words, Jesus said yes to leaving the comforts of heaven, living a life of suffering and of pain and of betrayal, the perfect life that you and I never could, and then saying yes to the most brutal execution, crucifixion, As an innocent man, he did all that. He said yes to all that for the reward. And do you know what the reward is? It's oneness with you. That's what he's after. That's why he did it. That's why he didn't tap out. That's why he didn't quit, because there was a reward for him for saying yes. Are you getting it? We do things for the reward. So, I'll call the band up if you guys want to come up. So, as, I'm calling, as they're coming up, let me just ask you a question. What are you living for? Like, like, what are the rewards that you're leveraging, your time and your resources and your money and all that? What are the rewards that you're seeking? What are the rewards that you're after? What are you living for? I want to close with this. God gives rewards, but they're not just any rewards. In fact, they're unlike any other kind of reward. In verse 42, it speaks of rewards that will, quote, never be lost. We're talking about imperishable rewards, man. How many of you would choose an imperishable reward over a perishable reward? Raise your hand if you want that. Okay. Rewards that can't be taken from you. Rewards that will never go away. Rewards that will never die. God doesn't just give rewards. He gives imperishable imperishable rewards. So listen, every other reward that you and I live for, and there's a lot of them, but every single reward that we're living for, the paycheck, the trophy, the resume, the notoriety, the fleeting health, right, right? No matter how hard we work out, no matter how hard we steward our bodies, they're, they're expiring. That the fleeting pleasure, as good as it can feel. My cousin took me skiing in Whistler. It was insane. I came home and I was like, I was like, I'm a brand new man. Like it felt fantastic. And in 24 hours, all that was gone because I encountered the darkness around me and the darkness in me. The fleeting pleasure, the fleeting fulfillment, they're all temporary rewards. They're going to perish. They're not bad. They're just not as good. Jesus tells this parable in, in Matthew 13 about a man. He, he basically, he says the kingdom of heaven is like treasure that's buried in a field. And he goes, when this, when this guy finds it, He finds the treasure and he reburies it and then he goes and sells everything he has to purchase the field so he has that treasure. Listen to me, here's what I'm convinced of. If I and you, if we, if we truly understood the treasure of the kingdom of God, the treasure of the kingdom of heaven, we would leverage every asset we have to acquire the rewards that God has for us like nothing would be off limits. Take it all, Lord. Yes, Lord, whatever you say, because there's a reward and it's an imperishable reward. So I want you to see the picture of Matthew chapter 10. It's taken us several weeks to get through it, but I want you to see this. Jesus, he gathers his disciples and he gives them instructions all about the mission of God. What he specifically wants them to engage in in order to overthrow the kingdom of darkness around them and in them and through them. And what he does is, if you remember, he gives them an honest and he gives them a sobering explanation of what they can expect if they say yes to his mission. It is not gonna be easy. You're gonna encounter significant opposition to it, both externally and internally, right? It will be hard. It's not going to be easy, but he says it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. Why? Because of the rewards. So that begs the question, what is the rewards? Or what are the rewards? What is the reward? The reward is the king and his kingdom. That's the reward. The depth of that, you won't even scratch the surface in this life. (laughs) But you will in the life to come. You'll taste it here because it's come near in spectacular ways. I don't know about you, I don't want to forfeit the kingdom. Not just then, but now. All the privileges, all the benefits, all the power, all the glory, all the goodness. So maybe you're here this morning, and if you're honest with yourself, you're just like, you know what? I actually have been living for those lesser rewards. That's what I've been after. Can I just remind you, Jesus is gracious. He's patient. His his invitation to offer himself to you, oneness with him, hasn't gone anywhere. For the joy, he said, before him, he endured the cross. For the reward. You know how badly he wants oneness with you? You know how badly he wants you to give you the imperishable rewards of himself and his kingdom? You can have that. Remember, the mission of God can be welcomed or it can be rejected. Or maybe you're here and if you're honest, it hasn't really been that oneness with God that you're after. Like, can you know it deep down? And Satan wants to tempt you to feel guilty and, and like ashamed of it. can have the oneness. That parable of the, the man who finds the treasure in the field and then gives up everything he has to purchase it. We think it's us. We think, we think we're the ones that find the treasure, but it's actually a parable about Jesus who left heaven for you because you're so incredibly valuable to him. Isn't that beautiful? You didn't earn it, but you can position yourself to receive it, can't you? Let me pray. We humble ourselves before you, God. You are so kind and so patient and so faithful. And I ask you now that for every heart in this room, who is it's bending more and more towards temporary rewards. I pray that you would woo them. That phrase got used already today. I pray that you would reveal more and more of the beauty and the glory and the love of Jesus to each one of us. I ask you to capture our hearts, I ask you to capture our imaginations for imperishable rewards. Namely, you, our king and your kingdom, both now partially and fully in the future. We want oneness with you. Help us to make us to be men and women, young people, who are devoted to living a life of saying yes to you, of of oneness with God in every area of our lives so that we can see and experience more of your kingdom, more and more of your rule and reign, more and more of you getting your way in us and all around us. We need your help, Holy Spirit. Thank you that you're so gracious and generous to give it. We love you. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Friends, will you stand with me if you're able? If you're on the ministry team, would you you make your way to the front? Um, We're gonna spend the next 15 or so minutes. And this is a time of, of actually engaging with God, of responding to his goodness, responding to his grace, Responding to his desire to be one with us. We're going to do it in one of two ways. One, as a priest, someone who is orienting their life around blessing him, praising him, not to get something from him, but just because he's worthy, praise him with your voice. Praise him with your body. Praise him with your thoughts. Praise him with your words. And secondly, patience, those who, who need, you're in need. Wisdom, guidance, counsel, forgiveness. Maybe some of you need to confess some things this morning receive, receive the grace of Jesus. These trusted men and women are up here. They'd love to pray for you, all right? Also feel like God's highlighting healing, emotional and physical. If you need healing, come forward. God loves to reward those who diligently seek him. It's not my words, that's his. Love you guys very much. Enjoy him and then Herrick will be up to, to pastor us and close us.